Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. On today's New Statesman podcast, we discuss the grades U-turn and you ask us, how much internal opposition is there to Keir Starmer? Okay, we're speaking as the government is U-turning on on the way that it's grading A-level and GCSE results. Stephen, what's going on? So as listeners will will know, unless they have just subscribed from, you know, a, a bunker somewhere, in which case... I would go back in while you still can. The exams watchdogs of the four governments of the UK have, have all tried to use algorithm in heavy inverted commas to set the grades for this year. This has seen many people have their grades downgraded, many people missing their offer. Because of like the nature of sort of sample sizes, you have kind of like, if someone in like the last five years in your school has got being given a U, right, that pulls the distribution down enough that, you know, it's like, you know, so someone is getting a very, very low grade, even if they haven't been predicted anything like it, right? The government now looks set according to the times. And I also think as well as the fact that the journalist in question is, is very well sourced. I also kind of take the view that like, come on, like the basic politics of this are obvious, right? Like the government is going to U-turn to have it. So you can either have the highest of your teacher's grade your centrally assessed grade or your moderated grade. As you say, Stephen, and I know you did a valiant effort with the intro to this because we are recording before we hear the announcement of this U-turn. But as you say, Stephen, it, it looks incredibly likely to happen that we'll be looking at a U-turn on both GCSEs and A-levels, that GCSE students will receive the centre assessed grades that their teachers predicted for them and then also A-level students will get their predicted grades back again after a a huge palaver since the last time we recorded this. I suppose what we don't know yet is, like you were just saying, Stephen, we don't know exactly the the finer details of what that will look like for A-level students, you know, whether they will have a choice between different options and they can take the best one or whether the teacher predicted grades would will just be reinstated and we also don't know I think very interestingly like what this means for university offers because like you turning on this isn't is in some ways meaningless for university admission if the people who have been rejected and lost their places at universities still can't go but we know that 
universities make many more offers and there are places available some in- individual places have been just guaranteeing all of the offers that they made anyway but it's kind of not really sustainable across the board and it, it poses some like very very tricky questions for individual academic institutions and how much money they make how much room they have and and what will happen to, to these students whether they will just be guaranteed a place for next year or if there are still other options available Hmm. And someone's bound to lose out, aren't they? Even like you say, this is this isn't really a U-turn in in the full sense of it. Like the sort of feeding pupils throughout summer, for example, the U-turn on those on those school meals, where you just reser- reverse a decision and then the thing that Marcus Rashford or whoever wants to happen happens. This can't quite U-turn on the entire system because universities will have given places to the applicants who got the grades for them. And so even if they hold the places for those applicants who then get their grades changed or however it will work for next year, then next year they'll be a bit more full than they usually would be. And I suppose you will always have people losing out down the line. Also, you'll have an education sector that is incredibly pissed off with the government. So while usually a government can get away with a U-turn if the position that it's changing to is is a popular one, I don't think that will be the case with this. It's, it was also like an obvious problem that was coming down the line as it happened in Scotland. Stephen, you said you know that England would potentially be able to take lessons from what happened in Scotland, and they obviously didn't do that. And that sort of blind faith in in the sort of moderation process in the place of actual exam results has been just a spectacular failure and also one that was potentially quite obvious. And so I don't think there'll be as much forgiveness of this U-turn as there has been for other U-turns during the pandemic, which which have been received with quite a quite an unusual amount of goodwill because people accept that this is an unprecedented situation and that the government hasn't had to make policy in this area before. The government has had to, well, the government regulator has had to moderate and standardise exam results before. So that surely should have been a better way of trying to decide how to do this without this kind of bombshell that's baffled and made students and teachers distraught sort of across the country. I mean, so there's a lot that I think is interesting about this one. The first is that, like, because ultimately, right, like, university places aren't really a constraint, right? They the, the caps are invented and you can, yeah, you can just, like, have, like, two slightly fatter years in the 2021 and 2022 intakes to, like, let the kind of deferrals sort of, like, work their way out. Provided, of course, that you like support universities with more money and, you know, and seeing as like in many ways, right, the the, the cap was kind of slightly dodgy, was deeply dodgy policy making in any case. But this was a problem that was like had been coming down the track since they decided to do this. Now, and it also it's just it's just silly to try and give out grades to people who haven't sat exams and who have spent six months stuck indoors at home isolated from their peers like it's just like it does speak to this kind of the the, the, un, the underlying craziness of what awful governments are trying to do and i keep it does it does make me sort of grimly laugh that every time i go online like an education wonk is going but how is this going to be fair to next year's cohort and it's just like if you think next year's cohort's biggest problem isn't going to be that they've had like not just next year's cohort but one after that and the one after that right like every child who is currently of school age has missed about six months of their education and I just I find it weirdly like partly I guess because I have to find it hilarious because otherwise I just find it depressing 
than like the number of people who seem to think that like teachers will just snap their fingers and like some kid in year one who's missed six months of their schooling is going to like end year two in exactly the same place as their older sibling who didn't have those missed six months in year one like it's like let alone like what it means for your kind of progress eight stuff. So in England, you have to do, um, you know, you have to do sort of eight core subjects in the in the so-called Ingback, including a modern or ancient language. Now, obviously, I'm a zealot for more language teaching, and I think it's a, a good thing overall. But like someone who's missed six months of their French teaching in year eight is going to do worse in their French GCSE. And this idea that like any of these children, whether they're ones who've been given the offer to get into their university and the ones who haven't, are going to be as university ready. It's just like... I know I said this last week, but it just it just continues to like break my brain then that there are still people who are clinging to this idea that we can just like style this year out. Sort of speaking of the underlying craziness, I think that I think she was the tutor for admissions from Worcester College, Oxford, when she was giving an interview about this and their decision to guarantee places to anyone from the UK that they had made an offer to, regardless of whether their sort of A level results met the requirement or not. I think that she kind of captured that kind of underlying craziness in what she was saying about how ultimately these grades with inverted commas basically provide no new information that when universities make offers to people that would be based off a UCAS application, your GCSE results, references from different teachers your predicted grades in some cases submitted written work in some cases admissions tests and interviews that's how it works every year and normally a-levels function as a kind of safety net where they make more of those offers than there are places and then the people who don't meet those offers for for whatever reason they kind of it's a bit like with the way when you book a flight or something they always oversubscribe a plane because statistically they know a certain number of people won't show up I sort of based on this assumption that some people won't meet their offer so you can afford to make offers to extra people but in this year the thing functioning as a safety net bears absolutely none or very 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 little resemblance to any real known information about the student beyond the school that they find themselves in and a quite arbitrary ranking that the teacher has done of their academic strength relative to other students. I think when it's put like that, like these these A-level grades tell us nothing or very, very little about these students. I think it just exposes the, the fundamental problem with this. Uh, yeah, I just thought that, that she put it very well. Yeah, it's, you know, I'm in touch with um, with quite a few of my former teachers partly because I've gone back to speak at, you know, well, not gone back in some cases, but I've gone to speak at schools and they now teach in or whatever. And I asked one of them who just emailed me about this, I, you know, kind of, so, you know, I kind of asked, you know, like, well, how would they have ranked I and a friend of mine? And they just said, well, this is why it's stupid, right? They said, because ultimately, right, I'd have just had to flip a coin. They were just like, you know, at the top, like they said, at, at both like the, they were like, at both like the top and the bottom of your distribution, right? You're like, well, which one of these the straight A student and which one of these students who I'm working really hard to get their C and their maths and English like how am I actually ordering any of those people and they were just like the answer is I would have made that you you make like a terrible and deeply biased decision or you make a terrible and deeply arbitrary decision I do think it speaks to a kind of wider sort of like I'm a big believer in like you know the actual use of algorithms but it I think it speaks to kind of like this algorithm delusion that you can just like add the word algorithm to something and it will make the fact you don't mm. have any actual, you know, data will be fine. 
because as you say, we don't know anything about any of these pupils, right? They're, like, you know, the GCSE students haven't taken an exam since like the summer of 2015. Yeah, you know, there is like, there's no like secret data source that can like mean that you can gauge those those kids' results. Obviously, we're not even using the GCSEs of the A, A-level cohort. But even if we were, right, the step up from GCSE to A-level is, you know, not small. So like, how are you differentiating between like a bunch of people who got all A's at GCSEs, many of whom are not going to get all A's at, at A-level? There is no, there, there is like, there is no algorithm in scare quotes that like allows you to do it. Like, you know, like, Stephen Bush will be more cranky on days Arsenal have capitulated at home is net technically an algorithm, but like you can't like predict anything from it. And I think Anoush, as somebody like, you know, is our kind of like welfares are, um, you know, this must all be kind of horribly familiar to you because obviously the DWP does this to process some UC claims, don't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that sort of faith in a, in a broad brush system that is ultimately flawed because like you say it's not it's not an algorithm in the, in the truest sense it's just cobbling together a system which will try and sweep up the most people that it possibly can in the most efficient way that it possibly can taking into account very little context around the individual or even around sort of cohorts of people you've seen the problem with the sort of off qual system of trying to provide these grades which takes into account the prior performance of, of of schools which obviously runs completely counter to the conservative government's sort of ideals of education progress eight you mentioned which came in in 2016 the idea is to try and measure schools on the progress that they can provide for for pupils and that's been a whole new system that teachers have had to had to get to grips with and it's sort of narrowed the curriculum but they've you know got to grips with it and now they're being told the opposite you know your school is being is being sort of measured on past performance rather than how much progress you can provide. It's the same with universal credit. You know, it was supposed to be some kind of great reformed system that was streamlined and efficient and tried to roll people who became unemployed back into work as fast as possible. But instead, it's an incredibly blunt tool that actually isn't tailored to the individual. You know, the, the sainted individual that the Conservative party is supposed to champion you know you don't even get your own universal credit you just get universal credit for one household so you know I wouldn't say that these are all problems with the kind of algorithms like you say in inverted commas that the government uses but it is it's a way of doing government and policy that runs completely counter to the rhetoric and also to common sense yeah and I suppose the problem with with this algorithm I mean I, I saw someone on Twitter before we came on, Stephen, who was who was worrying that, that this debacle will give algorithms a bad name, which I don't think should should be the priority at the moment. <laughs> um, but but I think it's it's quite an important point to make that algorithms are, are only as good as as you build them and as the data which you put in. And clearly, just looking at this in any way sensibly, an algorithm was not going to be up to the task of assigning results to exams that students sit without knowing very much about them as individuals that you know it's perfectly fine at mirroring the kind of results distribution that you would expect from a group of people because that will, will be broadly similar to previous years but it's obviously like not up to the task of deciding which students are going to are going to get which grades the fundamental problem is that, you know, we know that every year a lot of people, like the vast majority of students don't meet their predicted grades and that lots of people are disappointed. But in those years, at least, 
when disappointments happen, the the pupil themselves has had a degree of agency in that. They they sat the exam, you know, whether they were sick or there were other extenuating circumstances or they just didn't revise hard enough or they found the particular questions difficult, those disappointments can be owned by the student as their as their own and it's based in some sort of reality. Whereas the basically the algorithm has generated disappointments at random for students, which is just the kind of the like the terrible reality of of this system and why it was was never going to work. Yeah, I also think there's a weird thing that the other kind of problem. So one of the reasons why I'm a major zealot for the use of algorithms in public policy is they obviously they only work if they're accompanied by good leadership and transparency. Obviously, the structural problem is we are poorly led by people who hate transparency and are ideologically opposed to it. But their own their value comes in being able to be like, okay, so our assumptions are X, and then you go like, wait a second. And this is why I always find them really useful when I'm trying to work out what I think about something, you know, because obviously a decision tree is like the ultimate very simplistic algorithm. And often when I'm trying to work out like why I think something, I start with a decision tree and I suddenly kind of go like, oh, well, if X happens, Y, and I suddenly realize, wait, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. The problem is, right, is that you could make this algorithm, in inverted commas, slightly better by going, okay, well, we will arbitrarily boost the grades of mixed race people people from Southeast Asia, people with two parents who aren't going through a divorce, people who haven't had bereavements recently. You know, like these are all things that we we know about this intake, right? You know, like we can tell like, you know, what the family shape of like various things. And we will make up for that by arbitrarily hobbling white working class boys, British people from from the Caribbean, and we'll reassign some of their grades to um, people from black African backgrounds. And that would have that that would be more accurate. And the weird thing is, is every year, like you know, when like the education system hands out slightly, you know, significantly more failed grades to white working class boys, to British people from from Caribbean backgrounds than it does to like those other groups, people go, "Oh, that's a bit sad, isn't it?" And like government ministers are like, "Things must get better." But the weird thing about doing this via algorithm is the government minister moves from being the person going, things must get better, to the one going, I'm now going to press this button and I'm going to give worse outcomes for all. Because even though they didn't control for any of those things, you, you still produce the same effect. Because if you look via school type, you do it in a slightly more arbitrary way. As you say, Alva, you're just handing out the passes like, essentially at random. But you are still penalising those groups. But suddenly the one holding the bag is the politician rather than them being able to be like, you know, and this is like the weird myth we have in schools now, right? And the, there's in theory loads of accountability, but because like we now have these really high stakes exams, it's just like, well, I guess someone over that five year period has let these kids down. Could be the state, could be the school, could be teachers, could be family unit. We'll never know, I guess. Accountability. <laughs> and I think, yeah, that is just, yeah, the whole thing is just an insane mess. And that lack of accountability sort of, I, I always fear that because it allows the government to outsource outrage to other places. Like you say, it's a decision to use that algorithm. So outsourcing outrage at the regulator or at universities because they can't confirm places for everyone because they don't have the funding for that, which they rely on the government for, or schools for not being able to appeal all of the, the grades that they deem unfair because they don't have the resources because they you know they've had all sorts of other things to try and prepare for you know there's a lot of people who can who you can find to blame in a, in a child's education and that's you know that's just thinking about institutions not least you know individuals 
And I think the government, this government is particularly good at shifting blame. And so I worry that that could be a potential outcome of this as well. I think that's a very good point, Anush, because even with the A-level results confusion, I think people haven't been entirely clear as to who is to blame. I mean, people have been very annoyed with Gavin Williamson because he's, you know, plainly not been a details man on this one. But I think that there's still a sense that Ofqual is also to blame, that Ofqual developed the the algorithm. And I mean, there was a very interesting interview on the Today programme this morning where you could hear Justin Webb discovering live on air that the buck does ultimately stop at the Secretary of State for Education and isn't just Ofqual's responsibility. They had a guest on who was sort of explaining that Yes, like Ofqual decides these things, but that with any functioning system, they would be in regular contact with the Secretary of State who could discuss and, like, and I think basically override any Ofqual decision. So, that, so it does ultimately stop with Gavin Williamson and, and then I suppose the Prime Minister. But as you say, Anush, this is a, a theme that we're going to see replicated across discussions about how government have made decisions because we're seeing the same thing with Public Health England, which we saw over the weekend, is going to be replaced with a new body. I mean, Public Health England is accountable to Matt Hancock, who is accountable to Boris Johnson. But the implication that Public Health England has failed in this crisis is one that I think will resonate. And and I think maybe the the lines of accountability just won't be clear enough to to terribly many people. And then, as you say, the yeah, the accountability just just won't be there. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. Us. Today's question comes from an unnamed questioner. It is, how extensive is the internal opposition to Keir Starmer? Does it go beyond Twitter? And is there any chance of a challenge from, e.g., Ian Lavery? I mean, at the moment, it really is just primarily like a Twitter thing and kind of because basically, right, to trigger a challenge, you you essentially would need to have the support of every kind of what we I'm going to broadly describe as Corbynite because I'm feeling too lazy to do the, the sort of divisions properly. But, you know, like you basically have to have the support of every MP who backed Becky Long-Bailey for the leadership plus like formal. And that is simply not at the moment a sort of a kind of where where the parliamentary parties or anything like it and actually that just is not really where 
the party in the country is either. Not least because, as with under Corbyn, right, like the group of people most opposed to the leadership have once again confused making each other angrier with increasing the number of people who agree with them. And they're also ignoring that their conduct and poor strategizing causes their supporters to leave, right? So just as like the 2016 Labour leadership was fought on more uncomfortable terrain for Corbyn sceptics because of the consequence of decisions they've made, the same thing is kind of happening at the moment with the major disclaimer that I don't think anyone knows what the position, the internal dynamics to the Labour Party will be. If by, let's imagine the world of February 2021, right? The government has continued to be broadly incompetent and we've had a very painful budget in the autumn of 2020, we've had large-scale unemployment as the furlough ends, right? These are all things that I would say broadly most MPs of all parties expect to happen. Let's say in all of, in that situation, the Labour Party continues to trail the Conservatives by five to ten points, depending on the pollster, and then the locals in May 2021 indicate and the pattern in the polls is about right. Yeah, then I think like that's the point when like stuff could start to happen. Because broadly, right, you, you you're kind of fine in the Labour Party as Labour leader if like only one ideological tendency is getting like freaked out with you. And if you can get another ideological tendency to ally with you. I'm using the word ideological very broadly here, right? Yeah, so for example, you can be Jeremy Corbyn and you can run the Labour Party through an alliance of kind of like what you might describe as the social movement left with the trade union movement left, specifically through Unite and the CWU. You can be Ed Miliband and you can essentially run the party through like the soft left and an alliance of the old right. You can be Tony Blair and you can run the party through like the old right and through like the party's revisionist wing. You could be Gordon Brown and you can do the same thing, but kind of, you know, from the old right with the revision ring rather than the revisionist wing rather than the other way. And I think basically the, the sort of great unknown is like if if the Labour Party still looks like its trajectory is not to win the next election and in some polls to actually like basically repeat the 2019 result is basically, do you start to get opposition to Keir Starmer from both ends of the party? It's possible, but at the moment, we're very far from that. Yeah, I really agree with that timing, I think, because not only will will we have had that budget, but also we'll, we'll know more then about the impact of the furlough scheme tapering off. And it could be, I mean, it's likely to be that we'll, we'll be in a position of quite high unemployment the likes of which we haven't seen for a long time. And that could not only affect the internal dynamics of the Labour Party, if, if you know, at the moment the polls are still pretty split, regardless of the fact that the government appears to be doing something negative policy-wise to everyday lives of a lot of people every day. If that carries on into, into that period of probably social unrest, mass unemployment, lots of businesses closing, etc., then, you know, there will be big questions for, for the Labour leadership to answer if they haven't shifted those polls and they haven't come up with a response to the government and a response to whatever's happening socially as a result of those huge economic shocks, then there will be massive questions for them to answer. And there'll be impatience within the Labour Party because this was supposed to be a change of leadership that brought about a change of electoral prospects. Yeah, I, th- I thought this was a, a really good question because I would imagine that if you're 
following politics closely, if, following Labour politics closely, but not working within it, that would be the, the number one question. You'd want to be taking the temperature within the Labour Party to see how much it matches up to what you perceive on Labour Twitter or, or from your own friends or, or social circle. I mean, as we know, Keir Starmer doesn't give a, a flying fig about Labour Twitter. And I think that the answer to the question, as you've both said, is that there there isn't much internal opposition to Keir Starmer at the moment. I'm sure that in some politicians' hearts, particularly, you know, people who be on the sort of Corbynite left, I'm sure in their hearts they're not that far from some of the criticisms that would be made of Keir Starmer on Twitter, but they're like not really in a place where they would be happy to vocalise that. And even, you know, not even really in an off-record way or or certainly not in any way that they'd be happy to to see represented in print in any form. Because as you say, it's it's very early at this point. And I think that some people do genuinely feel like Jeremy Corbyn as soon as he became leader, wasn't really given a chance to see what would happen if he led without too much opposition from within the party. And he was just able to, you know, give his approach a chance. So I think that to some extent, that is what people are are giving Keir Starmer at the moment. But yeah, as you say, it's further down the line. Yeah, I think the other like interesting factor here, right, is that the Twitter kind of critique of Starmerism, right, broadly comes from kind of well, in terms of my schema of like how Corbyn ran the Labour Party, it comes from the kind of social movement left. Whereas actually, to be a Corbynite in the PLP, particularly, not exclusively, but on the whole, particularly to be a new intake, I'm um, defining that as both 2017 and 2019, intake Corbynite MP is to be from that trade union movement bit of the left, where like, in many ways, like the stuff that has caused Twitter to get very angry with Keir Starmer is a continuation of the elect, the political strategy towards cultural hot button issues under Jeremy Corbyn. Literally, now you you can you can argue fairly than than ultimately like Corbyn would have done like think done these things like either in a way that was sufficiently unconvincing that like the same people wouldn't have got annoyed. But if you think about like the stuff that like you know Becky Long Bailey actually said in her leadership pitch, the weird thing is is that. If the point of of discontent on Twitter is primarily about how, you know, he adjudicates things like, you know, police overreach, not actually necessarily the Remain Leave divide itself, but like things that broadly map on to the Remain Leave political divide. The average Corbynite MP, when you talk about their concerns about the approach then and indeed aspects of the approach now, they feel that one of the problems is, is that the Labour Party is still like sitting there treading on the last nerve of voters on the other side of the Remain Leave cultural divide. In practice, of course, you know, as we saw in the 2019 leadership, right, people in the Labour Party are willing to um, turn a blind eye to differences, you know, like, you know, kind of intellectuals and, and like influences in the Labour movement are willing to like turn a blind eye to like fairly large and obvious gaps between their candidates' actually expressed politics and what those words mean. But to be like to the left of Starmer and critical of on the PLP mostly means to come from a kind of like, we also need to defang the culture war. The problem was we were insufficiently accepting of Brexit, which makes it hard for you to form a durable and meaningful alliance around like the Coulston protesters were, were right and we should all give them medals. And that I think is the other kind of slight weirdness, right? Isn't And this is 
one of the many ways than you know for whatever one may think about Clive Lewis's merits as a candidate his his critique of Corbynism was exactly right which is that the ways that it didn't follow its own values means that the voice that is the most sort of angry and motivated in criticizing Starmer of kind of like social movement left doesn't have a particularly large caucus in the PLP and I think it's hard to see how someone like Ian Lavery could in practice hold that coalition together even before you remember then at the moment that coalition is very far from being 50% of the Labour membership plus one. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me Anusha Kellyan and my colleagues Stephen Bush and Alva Ray. We're produced by Nick Hilton and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.